Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 217 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. Our flagship service is our HR Harbour membership, which is designed for businesses of any size who require some external HR and employment law support. If you'd like to learn more about the service and how we can support your business, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. We offer an initial free telephone call and a no obligation quote. You can contact me by email. It's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Now, in this week's episode, I am pleased to be joined by Dan Williams. Dan is the founder of Visualized Training and Consultancy, and he is an expert in relation to reasonable adjustments and the things that employers can do in relation to those employees who may be experiencing visual impairment or hearing loss and various forms of disability. In this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about reasonable adjustments and how employers can easily make changes and look at ways in which they are helping their existing staff and in relation to recruitment of staff who may have disabilities. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So I'm very pleased to be joined by Dan Williams. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Great stuff. So, Dan, do you want to just explain to the listeners who you are and and what you do and what your expertise is? Yeah. Hi, everyone. So my name is Dan Williams. I'm the director of Visualized Training and Consultancy. We work with employers and individuals to make sure that people with visual impairment and or hearing loss get the correct reasonable adjustments whilst in the workplace by carrying out workplace adjustments and we're on a mission to make the world more accessible for people with visual impairments and hearing loss in the workplace so we do that by workplace assessments and also a variety of different awareness training courses. Okay that's really interesting so how did you get into this Dan? So I myself have a visual impairment I was diagnosed at the age of eight um, with a progressive visual impairment condition called retinitis pigmentosa and I went to college, I went to university, I studied the rehabilitation of people with visual impairment, which is teaching people how to be more independent in the homes, teaching people white cane training, teaching people how to cook independently, how to get out and about. And that job would have sort of landed me up working within social services. And I, I sort of did a, a couple of years in social services and I sort of thought to myself, this isn't really the role for me. I've always been quite entrepreneurial. And I've always wanted to make a bigger, bigger change in the world. So I then went into setting up my own company and delivering this more from a private perspective rather than from a social services perspective. Okay, it sounds fantastic. So you've really utilised your own experience um, in in delivering this. And so in terms of numbers, I might be putting you on the spot here, but, you know, how many how many people of work, working age um, have a visual or or, um, hearing impairment? So there's about 250 people a day start to lose their vision and about 500 people a day start to lose their hearing. 
So it affects people in all different ways and it can affect any any one of us at any time in our life. I, I, how I describe it is visual impairment, hearing loss is indiscriminate in that it can affect anybody at any time in their life. And I think it's also, it's on the visual impairment specifically is on the increase because of aging population, diabetes and also obesity. And so how is that impacting people within the workforce? How are you seeing sort of real examples of this impacting? Yeah, so I think one of the things we find a lot is people, they struggle for months, if not years, and they may not even realise that they have any difficulty with their vision or their hearing. They sometimes mask it or they're not aware of, of the problem themselves. So, for example, people might trip over things. They might think, oh, John in the office, he's always clumsy. But everyone just says, oh, well, John's just a clumsy person. But maybe John hasn't been for an eye test in the last five years, six years, seven years. A lot of people, you know, about 28% of people don't even bother going for an eye test. It might be so that that generally when once people realise that they have a difficulty with their vision or their hearing, they they'll go for a hearing test or they'll go for a sight test. And at that point, they may then go back into the workplace and still maybe struggle in silence because they think that there's someone's the employer is going to get rid of them, for example. So they don't bother making making a song and dance of it. They sort of, you know, just sit there quietly and struggle on. Generally, we find that once it gets to a performance level, then people will generally contact us and say, Dan, we need some support here because X is struggling with X. And so it's not until that level where we would come in and look at what difficulties is this person having? What reasonable adjustments can the employer put in place? But sometimes, you know, it doesn't need to get to that point. I always think it's better to, we know prevention is better than cure. So if we can support somebody early, then they can also get back on their feet earlier as well. And sometimes when you have a visual impairment and a hearing loss, it, people go through a grieving process because you've lost something the same way that if you lost a partner or a friend or family member, you go through loss, you go through grief, and then you get to acceptance. But how do you get to acceptance if nobody's put in the right support for you? You can't do that. So it's really, really important that employers engage with specialists to actually get that support in place to understand what that individual needs to get back on their feet and what adjustments they need to be able to do that. So let me just un unpick that then. So you've got the very starting point where yeah. um, we're talking about somebody who is going through either hearing or sight loss during adult life and they may not have already had that. So how does an employer raise awareness in relation to that and, and remove any stigma that somebody might be feeling? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I think the first thing for me is about education is key. So making your employees realise that if you have any type of disability, that it's OK to speak up, be loud and proud about it. Don't sort of shy away. Have an inclusive approach to the employer sort of saying, you know, if you have any challenges or any support needs, get in touch with HR or the diversity and equality team and we can help you. So I think it's the first of all, the employer needs to have a welcoming, open approach to say, if you're struggling or you find anything difficult, come to us and we can help you. I think there's a second approach of eye tests and hearing tests. Do, does the employer carry out them? And also they may they may carry them out and they may also be sat in their intranet somewhere where it's really, really difficult to understand what the employer actually offers. So, again, be loud and proud about the services that you offer to your employees, the employee benefits. You know, we offer a free eye test. We offer money towards glasses. We also offer a free hearing test, et cetera, et cetera. 
So do you tell your employees about that? Also, do you monitor that? So if, if Joe Bloggs has been for that eye test or hearing test, how, what was the results of that? Was he, he or she referred to the hospital for maybe glaucoma or diabetic retinopathy or difficulties with their vision? Or was it just a simple situation where they just got a pair of glasses? Or was it a situation where their, their vision was fine? The amount of people that say to me, oh, my vision's fine. And I say to them, well, how do you know your vision's fine? Oh, well, I don't. I've never been for an eye test. It's something that generally will happen gradually. Not all the time, but majority of the time, it's a gradual thing. So how do you know that you can see fine? And most people will tell you they can see fine. Yeah, and of course, your body does a good job of making adjustments itself, doesn't it? So your normal might not actually be the normal that you should yeah. be be experiencing, of course. Okay, and then and moving on then. So in a situation where an employer then finds out that their employee mm-hmm. needs some adjustments mm-hmm. what are the kind of things so you know running through both visual and hearing yeah. impairments what are the kind of adjustments that you recommend and, and that can yeah. be made or the typical t- sorts of things obviously acknowledging that everybody is different and each adjustment mm-hmm. might apply differently what are the things that you um you tend to talk mm-hmm. talk about yeah so I think sometimes there's a perception that reasonable adjustments are going to cost a lot of money So from a visual impairment perspective, it's do we have to put Braille everywhere, all these type of things. And from a hearing loss perspective, do we have to install a massive loop system? Is that going to cost us loads of money? And sometimes the smaller things make a big difference to people's working life is what I find as well. I think sometimes just listening to somebody, understanding their challenges is really, really important. And that doesn't cost any money having a sit down with the colleague and saying, right, what difficulties are you having? What do I need to do to help you? So the manager really needs to understand the reasonable adjustment or the workplace adjustment process, I think, because you remember this individual doesn't know anything right now. So yes, they may have vision loss, they may have hearing loss, but that doesn't mean they're an expert in that subject because it's so new to them. They they don't know what they need. And I think sometimes there's an assumption that the individual knows what they need. And if it's new to them, like you said, it becomes their normal. So they don't know what's available to them. So the first thing is have a conversation. Manager needs to understand workplace adjustment process internally in the organization that they work in. How do we trigger that? How do we get an assessment? And then how do we get that outcome of the report? And I think the second thing for me is about the adjustment, sometimes it might be that somebody needs, for example, additional breaks to rest their eyes from the screen. It might be that somebody needs additional breaks because they're fatigued from lip reading all day long in meetings. Meeting after meeting, they've got a lip read, they're lip reading because of their hearing loss, and that causes a lot of fatigue. So again, they might need additional breaks, or rather than having back-to-back meetings, maybe have one meeting and then maybe an hour break and then another meeting, etc. Because some companies are having constant meeting after meeting. It might also be that you do something just simple as someone has had a visual impairment may need to switch off their camera because for them just concentrating on the screen is difficult. Some people need to just close their eyes, rest their eyes, but they can still listen to the conversation, but they don't necessarily need to focus all the time on the screen. And again, a simple thing that makes a big difference. There seems to be this this culture of you must have your camera on on Teams or Zoom. And for some people, that's not always easy. And I think not just people with visual impairment, but other people that have other types of challenges, you know? So they would be my sort of low cost, simple types of adjustments. And then when you're looking at more sort of expensive adjustments, then you're looking at things like screen magnification software, which will magnify the screen, 
or read back text on the screen. You're looking at the phone app Roger equipment, which is effectively a microphone that attaches to somebody's hearing aid. So it amplifies all of the sound around them so that they can zone in to conversations in meetings. So the speaker can hold the microphone and whatever the speaker is saying will go directly into that person's hearing aid. And all of these different things. And there's lots and lots of different technologies for people with visual impairment and hearing loss to be able to continue working. So we know that sight loss and hearing loss should not equal job loss. And so, yeah, there's lots and lots of technology that can be done. And I think technology is constantly evolving. So there's lots and lots out there that can that can help people. It might be that somebody has a fixed location desk, you know, so that they're always in the same location each time. That's good for them because it's away from maybe away from the window where the bright lights are coming in. It may be that you diffuse the light above somebody's head, for example, because it's causing glare down onto the screen. It might be that somebody with hearing loss needs to be in a brighter lit area within the office so that they can lip read better. Or rather than having a meter in a dark meeting room, have it in a lighter meeting room or increase the light and decrease the light and et cetera. So it's very, very unique to that individual of what that what challenges they are presenting with, what their job role is. But we also look at what difficulties is that individual having at home? Because, for example, if they can't hear the doorbell when the courier comes or the postman comes, or if they can't make a sandwich because, again, they their new reality is that they can't see very well to make their pat lunch to go to work, then a lot of the adjustments we recommend at work are going to be slightly pointless. So for me, it's about... What difficulties are you having at home? Have you got the right services in place in the community? For example, social care and other activities maybe in the community. So, for example, maybe you used to like playing tennis, but now you feel that you can't do tennis anymore. Well, have you tried blind tennis, for example? Have you tried hearing loss tennis? There's different, lots and lots of different things out there, but it's all about the individual's well-being. So if they're not happy at home, then they're not going to be happy at work. So we sort of need to look at the bigger picture as well. And that's really important for for us as a company when we when we look at these assessments. That's all really interesting and you've mentioned lots of things there that I've never heard about like blind tennis or hearing loss tennis so I think you've just highlighted the importance of speaking to somebody who's expert in this area to try to find where the adjustments are and, and the types of things that there are available because mm. I think often the barrier is knowledge isn't it? Yeah. Um, both for the individual and for the employer, not really understanding what is available and just having this sort of preconceived idea, like you say, about very expensive equipment that might mm-hmm. be needed when really it could be some much smaller adjustments. So in, in your experience, then, if an employer is looking at a potential candidate or an employee who might be um, having some hearing or sight loss, are there any jobs that you you know you just can't do because I can just imagine that there'd be employers out there or individuals who might think well you know I just can't do my job if I can't see fully or if Mm -hmm. I'm not able to hear. Yeah and I think yeah and the answer is yes there are certain jobs that people wouldn't be able to do and there would and, and those are the jobs where there is a strict medical criteria to be able to fulfill that role so for example when I was younger I wanted to be a cab I wanted to do cabin crew work And then when I got to about 16, I realized the reality was I was never going to work as a cabin crew because my vision wasn't good enough. Then I wanted to be a police officer and realized that wasn't going to be a possibility because actually my vision is not going to be good enough and they're not going to want a blind copper that's chasing criminals because I wouldn't find many people. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think there's obviously there's a reality. Yes. And there's and, and, and so 
I'm not going to say, you know, everyone strive for whatever you want to do, because within within limits is, of course, you're not going to be a pilot if you can't see. However, there's a very small minority of those roles. And, and so most people can fulfill most jobs. And even if things like, for example, if that person was, I don't know, a taxi driver, and yes, legally, they're not allowed to drive anymore because of their vision, but actually, could they be redeployed into the offices doing the dispatching of the taxis, for example? So I think it's about looking outside the box and looking at what other things that person can do with the skill set that they have and looking at their potential redeployment op- options. But but generally, that's really when it's coming to sort of driving from a visual impairment perspective. When it comes to hearing loss, again, there are certain roles that you that you won't be able to do from a legal, a legal medical perspective. And that's like things like construction and where there's sort of really health and safety risks, some roles potentially in the army. Um, and these type of things would be would be challenging or or nearly impossible. But again, that only when there's a health and safety risk or there's a medical sort of exemption that you can't do this role because of this, this and this. Yeah. And what I took from what you just said there was you should start with what you can do yeah. rather than what you can't do. And yeah. so, like you said, you may not be able to drive anymore, but you have the skills and experience to be able to, you know, work mm-hmm. dealing with calls or dispatching yeah. or whatever. And and certainly, you know, I think you said about construction there. I'm assuming that it, that if, you, if your hearing loss is such that you are able to make an adjustment to have a hearing aid, that yeah. that wouldn't then preclude you from working in that environment. If adjustments can be made, then obviously you, you, you as an employer should be making reasonable adjustments. But if there is a medical exemption of why of why you that person can't do that role, then obviously there are certain roles that have that medical exemption that are opposed on them for safety critical um, situations. Now, I just want to move on to think about attracting people to work with you who have impairments, hearing or sight. Um, and how your recruitment processes may be putting off people from even applying in the first place. Um, and I think that's really interesting. So I think I always say, well, you can't you can't be what you can't see. So, for example, do you have pe- pictures of people with disabilities on your recruitment pages or your website? Because, again, that's the first place most people are going to look is your website. The website is the front door to the business at the end of the day. So. If you can't, if I can't see me, then why would I want to work for for you, as it were? So I think that's the first thing. So imagery, marketing, values. Looking at the values, what are the values of the company? Again, do I want to work with a company like this or like this, depending on your values? Your equality and diversity sort of record and your statement, because a lot of companies say they do all these things, but in reality, do they do? We can all say we do, but do we do? And then I think the other thing is around for example the website so if somebody is british sign language do you have british sign language videos for example on the website um you may have a video on there saying hi we are x and we're looking for x but again have you interpreted that with subtitles have you put bsl overlay on there and then from a visual impairment perspective is the website accessible so what we mean by that is if a screen reader is is trying to access your website and they're filling out forms. If the form, for example, isn't labeled correctly from the from the back end IT perspective, that form field is just going to say box, box. But actually, what you're asking for is your first name. So first name, last name. But if I'm just hearing box, 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 then I can't even put my first name in there because it's not labeled correctly from the 
development perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. A very technical point that I was aware about screen readers, but hadn't been aware of that particular thing of yeah. making sure that if you're asking someone to fill out a form that that it's labeled correctly so that's really interesting and practical step for um, employers and and certainly for recruitment companies who use those those forms on their websites yeah so I was just going to say also again if you if somebody needs reasonable adjustments or accessibility requirements at interview Providing a contact number or an email address, I think, on the application form is always good as well, because that person may need to speak to you or email you about their specific requirements. And a lot of the times there's not a specific contact to contact. So you can't ring a large corporate company and say, I want to speak to somebody who's recruiting for this job because no one's going to know what you're talking about. So having a specific person to liaise with is also really useful so that you can make sure that those reasonable adjustments are in place at the assessment centres, for example, because the worst thing is, is that people come to the assessment centre or the interview and they, the adjustments are not in place. So they might write them on the form. Then there's a lot of times where people don't necessarily read the form in its entirety and they miss this crucial information that I needed an adjustment at that interview, for example. Yeah, that's interesting because quite often uh, HR or recruitment um, at arms of large businesses don't want to give out their um mm. individual details do they um, no. and you quite often get sent to a standard uh, email address or uh, the, the switchboard number and then it's almost impossible to get through to someone so that that's a very yes. small thing that you could take into consideration um to make that that adjustment but also if you have if you speak bsl british sign language how does how does that person communicate as well so do you have a process in place that you have a video relay service that if somebody wanted to call then it would pop up with a, a BSL interpreter as well on video. So it's thinking about these type of things. And for, for a large multiple national company who's a big corporate, you know, that, it, that would be a reasonable adjustment to be able to fulfill. So it's about looking at these things. And before we, we round things off, I just want to ask you if you've got any examples of really good practice that you can share. I mean, whether you can give the, the specifics or not, or just some general details. Yeah, so we recently done an assessment for an individual that just didn't know, she didn't know what was available. She'd been through the medical process, so she had a diagnosis of diabetic retinopathy. She wasn't managing her diabetes correctly, which led to sudden sight loss. She was in despair. The consultants and the medical staff didn't tell her anything, generally because they are looking more at the medical side. She got referred by HR to our, our service and she was in despair, but actually all of our assessors have lived experience. So first of all, that was, that's really, really useful because actually we said to her, you know, you're not alone. All of our assessors have been through this situation. We can empathize directly with you, but also we, we are aware of what is available to support you to move on with your, with your sight loss journey, because it is a journey. And the first thing for her, she needed counselling. So we referred her for counsel, specialist sight loss counselling, which she needed to help with that grief, that loss, because she couldn't get to acceptance. So forget about work right now. She's in, she's sudden sight loss. She's in grief and loss. Okay. So she needs to deal with that first. We then put in some mentoring support for her. So she had a mentor that she was checking in with. Again, that person had lived experience with a qualified mentor. And then then at that point she was ready so we come back and then done the work proper workplace assessment and looked at 
okay, so now you're ready to go back into work because she was signed off sick. What adjustments could we put in place? So we give her magnification software. We give her training on that software so that she could actually do learn how to do the software. Because one of the things I find a lot is employers will give somebody the software, maybe not bother engaging with specialists, give somebody, oh, this person needs some magnification software because we've got it on our licenses from IT. But then they don't give them the training on the software. So they, they've chucked this software at someone and they're not sure what to do or how to use it. So then we give her this and then we give her the training on it as well. And we also give her a large print keyboard where the employer purchased that for her. She also had a smaller screen as well, because sometimes employers sometimes think that if you can't see very well, it's great to give everyone a massive screen. The problem with that is sometimes sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But if you do that, then what happens is you start moving your neck more and then you start getting MSK, musculoskeletal issues as well. And that can cause other issues as well. So to be aware of that and be mindful of that. We brought her a gas assisted monitor arm that she could pull closer to her face. And and also we we linked her up with the with the disability staff network because she wasn't even aware that there was a disability staff network in her own organization. So she could meet other colleagues with disabilities internally as well that really understood her role. And we also referred her on to rehabilitation so she could in the local authority so she could use to use the long cane so she could learn how to cook again. Now she can't see very well. And she had some other adaptations done to the home, so additional lighting in the home as well. And all of these different things, you know, made a big difference to her life. So for me, it's like a full package. It's sort of a holistic. We take a holistic approach. Look at that individual. What are they struggling with now? And what what adjustments can we put in place in the future? Um, we also um, linked her up with a local blind football team as well, because she was really in, interested in, in football. So she used to play women's football before she lost her vision. And she thought she'd never be able to do that again. So we linked her up with a local blind football team and she and again, she started playing football now as well. So which she thought she would never be able to do again. So I think what I'm trying to say is, you know, anything is possible if you get the right support and the right adjustments. Where sometimes it goes wrong is people get the wrong support and the wrong adjustments. And the amount of times I've gone in and mopped up after other companies where it's been atrocious. And I've seen people being recommended things like dyslexia software when they can't see very well. And I'm thinking, well, why were they recommended this when they don't even have dyslexia? So what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes employers think that they're going to save money by do- going down this route, but sometimes you need to pay for this route. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's fantastic. So you're taking the whole holistic approach uh, and looking at it from the round, not just focusing yeah. on the work situation, because, of course, as we know, home impacts work and work impacts home. Mm-hmm. And I just want to pick out one thing you said there, which I thought was interesting, was in relation to the provision of software or adjustments is making sure that that person can use them. I remember dealing with a case a few years back where somebody was given Dragon dictation mm-hmm. of software and, and they just didn't know how to use it. And then the employer yeah. was becoming frustrated and going down a performance route with them. But actually, yeah. the reality was that they didn't know how to use it and they were a bit afraid to even say, I don't know how to use it. So yeah. um, that's just as just as important. So and, and then obviously from that, the follow up, isn't it? So if you are putting mm-hmm. in place adjustments within the workplace is then following up to make sure that they are having the required impact and that the individual knows it's not just a case of dumping a load of adjustments and spending time Mm. with somebody and then leaving them to it Mm. it's about coming back and revisiting that yeah can I just pick up on that point because Mm. I think um one of the things we do find as well is we do an assessment we write a a very detailed comprehensive report 
And sometimes it will sit on the line manager's desk or the HR um, advisor's desk. The difficulty I think sometimes is within the organizations is it's who's responsible for it. Is it HR? Is it line manager? Is it IT? Is it occupational health? Is it diversity and equality? And so sometimes you send the reports back and then the employee will contact you in maybe three to six months and say, oh, nothing's happened. And so, you know, it's also who who is responsible for implementing the workplace adjustments. And that's why I said earlier about it's also really important to have good line manager training around the, the role and the responsibility of implementation of these adjustments, because sometimes it sits with HR, sometimes it sits with line manager. And a lot of the times people are not aware of who should be doing what. And I think that's really, really key because it, it's not a document to be sat on a desk getting dusty because the longer that happens, the more that person is struggling. And the other thing that we do find is that we don't have a magic wand. So, yes, we can recommend all of this equipment and these uh, training and software, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that that person is going to be back on their feet quick, 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 because that's another thing that people have uh, sometimes organizations will put a lot of pressure on that individual to get back up to what they used to before. Well, I'm sorry that that person now can't see or hear very well. So the reality is they're not going to be the same as they, they were exactly because they've got to learn to do things differently now. So it's not that we have a magic wand and, and everyone's back on their feet like Usain Bolt. You know, it's not it doesn't work like that. So I think it's about having that appreciation and that things do take time as well. The same way that I said earlier about a bereavement, when somebody comes back off bereavement, they take time to adjust to get back into the flow of things. No, that's fantastic. I think there's been some really interesting points there. Um, Dan, thank you. And lots of key information that people can take away. Now, if they want to get in touch with you to utilise your services, your business's services, or they've got any questions or anything to follow up, how's the best way to contact you? Yeah, so you can email me at daniel at visualisetrainingandconsultancy.co.uk or just visit the website, which is www.visualisetrainingandconsultancy.co.uk. Remember that sight loss and hearing loss should not equal job loss. And, you know, everybody needs a bit of extra time. No, that's fantastic. And I'll put a link to um, all of your details in the show notes. So if anybody does want to get in touch, they can do. Um, Just one final question. Do you work with employers around the UK or are you sort of located in specific places? Yeah, all around the UK and around the world, if anyone wants me. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time, Dan. I think that's been fantastic. And um, I hope you have a great day. Great. Thank you. I'm sure you'll agree that that was a fantastic episode packed with lots of tips from Dan. As I said in the end of the interview, I will put all the details about how you can contact Dan in the show notes. And of course, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can email me directly. It's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening. And I hope that you have a fantastic two weeks ahead. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.